Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On the program tonight, I've got Adam Dawes looking at a number of interesting stocks that a number of subscribers uh, to our Switzer report have asked me about in our Boom Doom Zoom show on Thursday. Uh, these are companies like Sandfire Resources, ResMed, Ramsey. These are really important stocks. And I've got Adam Dawes looking at these sorts of companies along with Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities, who's looking at the chart. So we've got both the broker's view on these companies as well as the chartist view on these companies as well. And we'll try and pick out the ones that really look like a good buy right now. I also asked Adam Dawes for his three favourite stocks for 2023. They're an interesting group of stocks. And then Eleanor Cray, the senior economist at REA Group, and this is a really important uh, observation for anyone thinking about becoming an investor, a landlord, uh, at a time when house prices are falling. She also gives us an update on what she's seeing in terms of house prices in the market right now. So that's the show. Let's kick off with Adam Dawes of Shore & Partners. Welcome to the program, mate. Yes, thank you. It's great to be here. Okay, now, I've got a number of stocks that have been asked of us at, um, last week in our Boom Doom Zoom show. I just thought, well, I might run them by you to see what you guys are thinking about. Let's kick off the first one, Sandfire Resources. I know charts-wise it's done pretty well recently. But what do you guys think about the company? Look, I really like the company as a whole, certainly with the thematic of copper, uh, potentially having a drawdown over the next uh, coming two to three years with all of the battery technology that's going to happen. I certainly think copper is one of those places that you need to be. Now, if you take out Oz Minerals out of the equation, which BHP's just raised their price for, I think that the only real large copper play left on this market is, um, is Samfire. Mm. So a lot of that institutional money that will flow out of Oz Minerals when it goes into BHP has to go somewhere. And that would be the first port of call would be Samfire just due to its large cap nature. They just completed an equity raise of $200 million. It looks quite good here. Uh, they raised it at $4.30. The price today is around $4.70, $4.75. Good sign. Mm. So it does give me hope that uh, potentially everyone else is thinking the same way that they need to be on that copper train early because it's definitely going to take off very soon. Okay. Let's go to uh, one for the gamblers, Aristocrat Leisure. What do you think, mate? Well, yeah, the price has really been depressed. Uh, if you looked at the chart, the price has really sort of come back uh, a, a fair way. So it does represent some value, aristocrat here. They did come out and say that their net profit nearly rose around 16% in 2022 fixed school year, which was quite good. Um, however, um, the market got a little bit spooked with some of its social gaming uh, issues or the slowdown in the social gaming side of things as well. So that's going to put a bit of a dent on it. But they did up the dividend uh, 26 cents to uh, 52 cents for the full year. And I just think that we've just got to keep an eye on that digital growth side or the social gaming side of it. So I think there's value down here. I'd just be a little bit careful because there's still some slow parts of the business. So I'm going to say it's a hold if you got it, um, but I wouldn't be throwing too much fresh money into it just at the moment. You need to see it start to tick up higher before we do that. Okay, let's go to ResMed now. This is a, a company that I've always found when the market sells it off, it's a good time to buy it. Is that the situation you're seeing? 
Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're very weight, uh, overweight healthcare. I guess it really does offer um, that defensive earnings in any kind of storm. So that defensive earnings, I think, is really, really important. Um, it also um, looks like it's a bit of an upgrade cycle, and I'll tell you why that upgrade cycle is going to come in a sec. Valuations look relatively cheap pre-COVID and post-COVID. Um, and uh, they're able to sort of reiterate or raise out, or raise out a lot of that inflation push that's been coming because they can pass that on to the customers. And certainly in the healthcare stock or in the healthcare space, I like CSL, Cochlear, as well as ResMed. But like, why do we like ResMed a little bit more? It's a dominant player in that CPAP market space, which we're really, 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 really comfortable with. Um, there's been some structural system growth that uh, the, the global CPAP market remains significantly underpenetrated, where healthcare generally grows at about two to three percent. This one's growing at around six to eight percent, and one of their major one of their major opportunities of late is these, that Philips had a product recall, and ResMed is definitely on its way to continuing to keep up that market share and becoming dominant in that space that now that Philips had a couple of product recalls. So I think that's a really opportune buy to be looking at ResMed for a buy. Okay, let's go to a company I don't know much about in Mincor. Yeah, it's a, I had to do some work on it as well. <laughs> uh, you know, it's good to see you do some work um, for a change. <laughs> You know, it was in between doing other things. Yeah, but no, no, no. So like, it's been ages since I've looked at Micor. Mm. And, and it's one of those ones that I'm really, really comfortable with. But the, sh the chart doesn't look great at the moment. So I'd sort of, for the chartist, I think around $1.30, you'd like to get in on this one. It looks like it's sort of rolling over mm. uh, a little bit at the moment. Um, but really, nickel, the nickel space has witnessed uh, huge price rises over the last sort of six to 12 months. And that's going to continue to keep going with the commodity side of things. And certainly nickel is trending higher as well. So I think overall nickel is, is certainly going to be part of the portfolio. We know that BHP said that they sell all of their nickel. There's not anything spare inside of that. And I think that trend is going to continue for the next 12 months. But I'd wait on Mincor. It's about $1.53 at the moment. I'd wait till $1.30, $1.35. And then I'd, uh, I'd put the buy signal in on that one. So just fundamentals are good the chart doesn't look that great mm. so i think you've got to have both of those <clears throat> marrying up together to get that to get that strong signal for a buy okay let's go to i asked you to pick out your three favorite stocks for 2023 and they better be good yeah man. they better be good <laughs> no pressure <laughs> well look i, I think you know, yeah no pressure no 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 um I, I think you know i'm going a little bit contrary in here but i think you know, you've got to start to potentially start dipping your toe back into the water, into the consumer discretionary space. And certainly the tech space is where I think that we've seen the most uh, heaviest, heaviest selling over the last year. And in the new year, once interest rates potentially stabilise, we might even see some interest rates starting to fall. That will then give that consumer discretionary space uh, a, a yeah, a bit of a boost. So something like, um, you know, the easy one is to pick LaVisa because it's just absolutely done very, very well. But I think Universal, you and I, looks really good in that young uh, space. Um, or you could certainly look, if you wanted to go broader, something like Centre Group, because then you get all the stores at once uh, putting in uh, money. So that's not a bad consumer discretionary side of things. Yep. 
And look, the tech side of things, I think, you know, Zero is a classic example of where we really want to you know, be getting some, uh, getting some positions in there probably early in the new year versus later on. I think, um, I think you have to be a little bit ahead of the curve and that will probably be a little bit early at the start, but by midway through the year, we'll certainly start to see those signs starting to do that. So, yeah, I think tech and consumer discretionary are the places to look for some bargains in the new year. Okay, so the three are, is it LaVisa, Universal, uh, or, Cent or, yeah, or LaVisa, Centre Group? Centre Group, yeah. and then- um, Zero. And then Zero. Uh, for that tech side of things. Okay, mate. I like them all. All very good, particularly Zero. Thanks for joining us, mate. Talk to you soon. Yeah, take care, Peter. Bye. Well, joining us now is Michael Gable of Fairmont Equities. And with the market kind of on the improve, I'd like to see whether the charts are actually reinforcing the positivity we're seeing. What's your feeling, Mike? Um, it's looking pretty good so far, Peter. Mm. Um, you know, we've been talking for a while about, you know, the key events that will make the market uh, recover, and obviously the the top of the list is is inflation. So that that great CPI number that we saw a couple of weeks ago has certainly, um, yeah, put more of a positive light on the market. Yes, we're not out of the woods yet. We need to see more evidence of inflation peaking. Mm. Um, central banks will likely continue to increase rates probably a little bit longer than maybe they should just to make sure they slay the inflation dragon. But mm. um, yeah, inflation most likely has peaked. So mm. although it might be a rocky road from here, that's you know one big tick for potentially markets bottoming out and next year being a, a good recovery year. Okay, let's go to the first one, the ASX 200, and it has performed better than the US. Mm. Um, and you know, we've looked about a couple of weeks ago, it looked like we're heading yeah. in the right direction. Has that direction can, kept going in the right direction? Yeah, it has. I'll, um, I'll start pointing out all the key levels yeah, great. for our viewers. Um, so we spoke a few weeks ago, and yeah, as we could see over the past year, it's just been very, very choppy, volatile, whatever word you want to use. Um, yeah, even, even most recently, this this decline was was very, um, you know, very steep. But mm. but so was the the bounce back. Um, as you could see, we're about midway in the range now. Mm. Um, so you know, it's not it's not the screaming buy that it maybe would have been a few weeks ago. Where it started to really get moving again. At the moment, it does look like it's consolidating. So what I like to see after big moves up is a consolidation. And when, when prices consolidate, usually they'll either consolidate by moving sideways for a while. So in technical analysis land, we call it either consolidating in time um, or in price. So either they move sideways for a while and use up a lot of time mm. um, or in price, meaning they, they drop um, to consolidate. So we could see there, there have been occasions where the markets dropped to consolidate a move. Ideally, we'd like to see it use up time, and that seems to be what it's doing now. Mm. So we've got this sideways movement, which is a positive, and if it can basically stay up here, then it sets itself up for a bit of a move higher. Mm. And I know that that'll freak a few people out because a lot of investors will be wondering, well, do we really deserve to be back up here when the market peaked at only these sorts of levels? But 
You know, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the momentum at the moment. So, yeah, so far so good, looking pretty good. I mean, if we start to get a move like this on the downside, I'd be a bit more concerned, but at the moment it, it looks like we've got that little bit higher to go. Yeah. And I guess it's fair to say that if you go back to early 2020, we're not, we're not very, are we above that 2020 level? That's a good question. Yeah, we're still, yeah, we're still well above the, um, the peak um, yeah. and, and the US market as well. Yeah. So um, they're still sitting above those levels. Again, we can rationalise why we should maybe, you know, potentially be lower than that. And, mm. and there's a lot of talk about the recession uh, and what that will do. Um, but again, I reiterate that markets are forward looking. We're all talking about a recession. I think you need to be concerned when the prospects of a recession appear suddenly and no one's expecting it or pricing it in, but we've spoken about it to death. So. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the possibility of a recession rather than the actual mm. actuality. Let's go to NASDAQ. I wanted to look at NASDAQ because this is the index that's really been bashed up yeah. because of rising interest rates. Um, are we seeing anything positive there? Um, in the short term, it's not. It hasn't held up as well as our market, of course. No. Um, and it's, if, it's heavily laden with tech and growth stocks. Yeah. They're the ones on the outer. Huh? Yeah, exactly. So even though <coughs> it's had a good bounce uh, over here, when you look at it um, on, say, a one-year basis, it doesn't really, it doesn't really move the dial much. But look, shorter term, I think this looks like it wants to head higher. Mm -hmm. Um, this blue line is the 200-day moving average, which is a major level um, that a lot of uh, major investors look at. As we could see, we're, we're under the 200-day moving average, so you need to have a bit more of a bearish slant while that's the case. Mm. Um, just for interest, our market is actually above the 200-day moving average, so yep. that's, that's a positive. Mm. Um, but we could see it's still well below. Uh, if this was the S&P 500, it'd be sitting just, just about here. So the S&P yeah. 500 is getting close to that, that key level. NASDAQ still has a lot of work to do. Um, I think that if, if this October low is a bottom, and again, we're not, we're not sure, we could, we could well exceed it mm. um, briefly. But even if this is a bottom, I think, just like what I was talking before about um, consolidation in, in time or price, I think the NASDAQ needs to just use up more time and that makes sense mm. because um, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. We still have rate rises ahead of us um, even though we now can be a bit more confident it's going to be more on the, the small, you know, smaller well, number of rises, rises than, yeah. than, than a lot. Um, but I think it'll be healthy for the NASDAQ to build a base, maybe spend a few more months heading to the right hand side and maybe first quarter next year um, is, is when we'll be looking at more opportunities yeah. in the NASDAQ. Okay, so but at this point in time, you've got no reason to say it's heading down, and there's nothing here that's telling me you need to to sell everything and yeah. and get out. If we look at some of the major tech stocks in the U.S., they've they've already it looks like they've already yeah. bottomed. So and every day they get a good piece of news around inflation. Big tech actually mm. does well, despite the fact that some people are saying, "Oh, big tech's not going to do well." Every day when there's a surprise good inflation number, mm. big tech does pretty well. Yeah, it does. Um, look, I'm not very negative on the NASDAQ, but having said that, I'd just be cautious around whether um, we need to get bullish down at the le these levels. So it might yeah. not go lower, but it might not actually go much higher for a while. So yeah. often when we move into a new bear market, sorry, into a new bull market, so say, say if we assume next year's going to be the new bull market, mm. I don't think the, the leaders 
in the NASDAQ space, the leaders from last year and the year before are going to be the leaders next year. So my advice to investors is don't just assume that whatever worked really well a year or two ago and has been beaten up will necessarily lead the market back out. Yeah. It'll be other leaders yeah. to do that. Yeah. Okay, let's go to, um, and these are some questions that came from our Boom Doom Zoom show. Not a company I, I follow in Sandfire, but mm. I had a pretty good week last week, I believe. Yeah, this, um, I think this chart's quite interesting. So there's a few interesting things happening here. So Sandfire, um, copper producer, um, the price of copper has been down mm. for a while, good for inflation, but um, it is starting to, to get Rub going up. again, the, price of, the mm. price of copper. Now, the bits that I found interesting on this chart um, was what it was doing around, around these lows. So as we could see up until several weeks ago, we've, we've got a downtrend, so the sort of the sort of situation you just want to avoid. Um, but interestingly, here in October, it broke a major support level. So this, this level here near $3.50, just above $3.50, it was tested on a few occasions and we could see up until this point, it was really struggling and then it broke support, which if you were holding it, to, in my mind, would have been a sell signal. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time this leads to, to lower levels, mm. but interestingly, it didn't get any worse in the few days after, and then it managed to get back above that support level quite nicely. Um, so in this, in my opinion, this is a, a false break, and I've mentioned false breaks before back in July when we were looking at the chart of mineral resources, mm. when it looked like it was breaking down, it got back up, uh, and that, that was our pick at the time, and it's, it's rallied strongly. So yeah. I think this is a good chance of rallying strongly. So what it's basically done, the logic behind all this is it's, it's broken support. There's been the natural tendency to sell. People are giving up on the stock. But for it to bounce right back shows some very serious buying support. If you were going to sell it, you've had your chance to sell it. Mm. Um, and the reason why it's moving up so quickly is the fact that those sellers aren't there anymore. So it, every time someone hits, the, someone hits the offer to buy it, 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 just, it just heads back up. Yeah. So um, yeah, looking really good. They, announced a capital raising last week at around $4.30 something, I think it was. Mm. Um, and so far today, it's holding in pretty well. So all of this is a good sign. I think if this can, again, consolidate a little bit more sideways for a few days, just to show me that we're not going to get a lot of selling because of the capital raising, um, I'd say that's a buying opportunity and it should, yeah. should yeah, go It probably higher. coincides with some positive news coming out of China. And yeah, when exactly. China's out there buying stuff and, and being normal, mm. copper gets um, a bit of demand. Let's go into um, the next one now, and that is one of your favourites that struggled in recent times, mm. aristocrat leisure. Are we looking at a buying opportunity here? Um, yeah, we were buying it as recently as, um, I don't know, about a month ago, mm. several, several weeks ago. It's not, it's not shooting the lights out, but it is a business we like. Um, Charting-wise, you've got, you've got a downtrend, stay away, then it's started to really base out. And what grabbed our attention was the fact it bottomed in May, mm. it bottomed in May, whereas the broader market made a new low in June. So already it was showing some strength relative to mm. the index. Yeah, it hasn't shot the lights out, but it's, it's meandering higher. Um, reported last week, initially got sold down. But similarly to that Sandfire chart, it didn't get any worse in in the couple of days afterwards. If anything, mm. it's it's held up. So, to me, this looks like it's it's just going to continue 
trending higher from here. So yep. it's doing all the right things. Yeah. And the next one to look at is one that I found often rebounds out of being sold off, and that's ResMed. Mm. What, what's the uh, chart saying now? Um, there's some similarities to the aristocrat chart mm. in that the you know, first thing I noticed is it bottomed in in May compared to the broader market, which went lower in June. So already this one was seeing good buying. Um, and therefore, when the market was ready to get going, um, off it went. At the moment, it is a bit, it is a bit messy. Look, the broader picture, I think, looks, looks fine with ResMed. It looks like it will head higher. Um, as we could see, there was, there was a bit of a trading range here. And when it did break down, it eventually found some good buying, rebounded. But it's, again, trading in a range similar to this one earlier in the year. So, I mean, very roughly, you could say, OK, well, there's a ceiling around $35, $36. It needs to get through. Seems to be a bit of a flaw around 32. Mm. Um, it's just banging around in the middle. So nothing wrong with that. Obviously, if it breaks the underneath, I'd be concerned. And if it can clear this range here, then I think you'd get a, a move similar to this. It just needs to, to get above 36. Yeah. I've also noticed that <clears throat> healthcare stocks are getting more popular in the US. And even though this is probably more mm. growth oriented than a defensive healthcare stock, it is in that sector. I wouldn't mind, mind betting. Yeah. It benefits from that sort of attitude. Let's go to the next one, Mincor. So this is a nickel company. I don't mm. don't know much about it, whether they're producing or not. But mm. obviously, nickel's a um, you know one of the a popular the hot, product, the hot yeah. metals. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things grabbed my attention with this chart. I mean, firstly, we could see we had that that downtrend and not not really trading well, especially in June, but oh. what, what grabbed my attention was just the price action over the last several weeks. Um, I've included a, a volume uh, scale here at the bottom yep. because that, I found that quite interesting. So what happened here was we had the break um, to a new low, so a very, a very negative day here towards the end of October, um, and we could see the massive volume. So mm. proper, proper selling. Again, ordinarily, when you see a big move down on volume, you should you should be out because often it does continue on, just like you. It could have been one of these sorts of moves. But interestingly, the day after it held in, and again, within a few days, it hadn't gotten any worse, um, and then it bounced. So what, what, that, what this is telling us is happening behind the scenes is, again, you've got a lot of dumping of the shares, but equally you've got um, a lot of buying um, so anyone that wanted to sell the shares, it looks like they've already done so. Mm. And it was met with quite a, quite a big amount of buying, which is why you have the volume. This is known as a sign of exhaustion. So again, you've got potentially people that have held the stock in the twos, and it's got to a point on this particular day where they've, they've just given no. up their beloved yeah. MCR. They've had enough. Yeah. And, um, and, and that was I think and that the boxer the Roberto Duran said, no more, no more. No, no more, more, no more. That's it. Yeah. They've, they've had enough. So the yeah. time the time to have um, uh, kicked this one out of bed was all the way back then, but they've persisted, persisted, and finally mm. gave up. Um, so that's a sign of exhaustion, uh, which means possibly this is a very strong low for MCR. Um, bounced back just as quickly, which is good. The mm. only thing I don't like on this chart is what it's done in the last few days. So these red candles here, what it's telling me is it's, it's opening high and then closing on its lows and then the day after it gaps yeah, lower. Yeah, three in a row. <clears throat> yeah, three in a row. So, look, not a good sign. I mean, the volume isn't too big on the way down here. Um, what I'd be looking for now is if 
if it could stabilise here above this low point, um, then that would make me confident that yeah, we do have a, a proper low. And if you're looking to buy it, that might be your entry point. So it's certainly one to watch. Now, this is one that a lot of people have, have liked, um, particularly June Bailu last week said she liked uh, Ramsey. Mm. Is the chart giving you confidence that um, this is heading in the right direction? Um, it is in the short term. Yeah. Um, but as we could see, that the, um, you know, the takeover that fell through and... Mm. I, I mean, I, I think this is just another example of, you know, when you get these takeover offers, you can hold in for an extra, yeah, five, ten percent, mm. um, but you risk all the downside if it mm. if it falls through. So, mm. I mean, I gave the example of uh, the Oz Minerals takeover a couple of months ago. We spoke about it, and mm. and and my advice at the time and what I did for clients was just just take take the money. And okay, since then it's they received another offer for an extra couple of bucks, but you know you risk you risk this sort of thing happening. And I know a lot of investors like to quote you know, Rene Rifkin from back in the day that you should be buying on the first takeover offer because there's always a second. Mm. I just think the risk rewards don't stack yeah. up nowadays. And there's um, not always a second. Often there is, but and particularly yeah. if it's a, a really well sought after uh, company. But yeah. in the case of Oz Minerals, it didn't get any other offers from anyone else. BHP remained the only potential buyer, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. And we are in a bear market, so yeah, you, you right. can't get too, too bullish about these okay. things. Um, but no, look, coming back to the chart, um, look, I think this looks fine in the short term. Um, I almost bought this a few weeks or so ago for clients, um, but I went with CSL in the mm. end just because it's, to me, it's a, it's a lower risk proposition. But the reason why I thought it was worth potentially buying um, was just this formation here. To me, it looked like it was bottoming out. Um, and then as it, as it was testing this resistance line, we could see towards the end there, it was spending more time up at this line as opposed to all the way down here, which was showing that the, the buying was building up uh, and it's broken out and it's, it's on the way up. Uh, I don't know how high it can get, no. but look for now, this is, this is a hold. Yeah, yeah. And, and given what was offered in the takeover, we're a long way from it, so therefore, Obviously, the takeover merchants believe there's some value there. Yeah. All right, so um, now down to your pick, and it's a bit of a controversial one, uh, Michael. Go for it. Something a bit different. Yeah, um, very different. So, uh, look, I'm still bullish on resources. There's plenty of stocks out there worth worth buying. I thought it was worth highlighting AMP, um, not because it's a great company, but because it's a poor company that's trading well. Hmm. Um, and you know, there's a bit of a contrarian opportunity here. Um, I know a lot of investors out there like to look for businesses like this that have been beaten down and they're looking for yeah. the turnaround. Um, and as I've always said on the show, you know, when you see these companies, they're trending down, you just need to wait. You need to wait for it to level out. You need to wait for it to start going back up. And often um, a true turnaround company will do that when it doesn't make sense, when no one's really noticing. And we seem to be having that situation now with AMP. Mm. Um, AMP bottomed this year in, uh, I think it was January, February. Again, the, mar the market bottomed in June. Mm. So during those first six months, um, AMP was actually heading higher, quite unusually. Um, the other thing I noticed with AMP was there was a very strong level here at uh, just over $1.20 strong resistance levels. So in other words, during all this sort of market turmoil 
for most of the year, AMP has been butting up against $1.20 trying to head higher. So yeah. um, again, it's trading in the complete opposite way that you'd expect for, for, for this sort of mm. company. Um, usually when it comes to charts and resistance levels, if you could see a stock hit up against the resistance level sort of four or five times, often it will go through. And if it does go through, you end up with a, a strong move. Um, the other thing is because it's tried to do that over a long period of time, it means that once it does get above that level and all the sellers have, have been exhausted, then it should, it, yeah, it should really continue on for a while. So look, we've got the breakout now in AMP. It seems to have put a, a low in place. And I think over the next few months, it'll, it'll be up yeah. here and no one, will, no one will understand why, right. and I don't understand why. So, so you haven't actually looked to see whether there's a, a, a business case for it, it's just a trading case for it. Yeah, look, it, it is a trading case. I mean, you can, you can try to come up with, with a business case in terms of, you know, their funds under management, maybe it's, it's bottomed out here and um, maybe they could break up parts of the business and sell it mm. um, and so on. But for whatever reason, there's some... <clears throat> serious enough money getting into AMP at these levels that it's going up and, and defying the market. So okay. one, one to keep an eye on. Okay, so it's you sticking your neck out, but at the end of the day, I asked you to come here to look at what the market's telling you and that's what the market's telling you. Yeah. Okay, that's Mike Gable for my equities. Okay, right. Okay. Well, joining us now is Eleanor Cray, who's from uh, PropTrack. She's a senior economist there. And I want to get a handle on what's going on in this property market of ours, particularly with the latest news that uh, auction clearance rates are on the rise. Eleanor, great to see you. Great to see you too. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Let's just set the scene before we start talking about auction clearance rates. Um, the big story was the, the quite substantial fall in house prices, I think. Did Brisbane have the fastest uh, fall in house prices in September ever? And Sydney's down about 5%, and Melbourne's down about 4%. So are, that, are all those numbers roughly true? So we saw that um, throughout October, according to the PropTrack Home Price Index, uh, national price falls actually recorded their um, smallest fall. So just 0.06%, oh. so uh, really pretty, Pretty small fall um, and the smallest fall since uh, national home prices peaked in March. If we look across the capital cities uh, throughout October, uh, Hobart actually recorded the um, strongest pace of price falls down 0.46% uh, throughout October, uh, whereas price falls uh, moderated in Sydney down just 0.21% in October and actually in Melbourne were flat with the um, spring selling season underway. If we look at kind of uh, where we're at from peak levels, it still is Sydney and Melbourne that have led the price declines so far this year. With home prices in Sydney, you're right down just over um, 6% from their peak, uh, and in Melbourne, 4.75% from their peak. And uh, nationally, if we look at that kind of overall picture, the PropTrack Home Price Index has shown that national price, national home prices are down 3.53% from their peak. Now, 3.5%, Eleanor, is not what you might call wrist-cutting type house price falls, <laughs> yet there are risk-cutting type house price predictions out there, 25 to 30%. Um, 
And I know it's difficult to work out what might happen in 2023, but what are you guys anticipating will be the national fall in house prices? Pick the trough. Yeah, look, it certainly is um, difficult to forecast. Uh, there are a lot of uncertainties uh, out there still, uh, but we are thinking that home prices are going to continue to fall clearly as interest rates continue to rise. We've seen that the RBA have lifted their inflation forecasts uh, somewhat, uh, peaking at um, 8% uh, towards the end of this year, uh, but with inflation not returning into the target band until uh, 2025, possibly. Um, so with that in mind, it looks like potentially, although we've shifted back to this uh, smaller pace of rate rises, that maybe we're going to see interest rates rising for a longer period. As interest rates continue to rise, maximum borrowing capacities will continue to be constrained. So now the cash rate is sitting at 2.85%. That means maximum borrowing capacities uh, for potential buyers have been constrained by more than 20%. And that will continue to weigh on home prices in the period ahead. But we aren't expecting those price falls to be quite as large as um, some others are expecting. So on a national level, uh, we've got tabled uh, price falls uh, this year between 2 and 5%, and then next year uh, a further potentially 7 to 10%. And there's a few reasons uh, or positive demand effects that we think uh, will offset the pace of price falls and, and uh, play into why we think uh, price falls are going to be a little bit less aggressive than some others. Uh, so number one, uh, we clearly have incredibly tight rental markets, uh, Australia wide, uh, and we think that uh, will start to incentivize some to buy, uh, both investors and uh, potentially own occupier buyers, first home buyers, particularly with some of the incentives uh, that are out there. Uh, we clearly also have a strong rebound in migration, uh, international student arrivals, migrant workers and the like, and of course, low unemployment and um, kind of long-term persistent housing supply pressures. Um, and those factors we think will uh, offset the downturn, so to speak. Mm. So in many ways, if we add those numbers up, and I just did it roughly while I was listening to you, you're more in the 10 to 15% price fall rather than the 20 to 30%. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I guess you have argued the case is ultimately it's in the hands of the Reserve Bank and how many interest rate rises they give. Yeah, so we're looking at um, another 25 basis points next month uh, and then another 25 basis points at some point in the first quarter of next year. But there is uh, potential upside risk to that. Uh, I guess depending on how economic conditions materialise, depending on how wage pressures uh, materialise and, and depending on really how households uh, respond to the substantial tightening that has been pushed through to date. So we know there's still a lot of uncertainty with respect to that. So there is this lagged pass through to existing customers. Uh, we also have uh, that large portion of borrowers who took advantage of um, the incredibly low fixed rates that were on offer throughout the COVID period. Those um, A lot of those fixed terms are yet to expire and it's, it's going to be a large adjustment for some of those borrowers. So, you know, although they have made savings throughout this period while they've been uh, on incredibly low fixed rates, there is going to be a large adjustment um, 
as those fixed terms expire. Mm. And clearly people are going to have to make budgetary adjustments, um, but just quite how households respond is is uh, still very much an uncertainty. Uh, uh, and I think that is one of the reasons um, why we saw the RBA shifting back to that smaller pace of rate rises, so back to that 25 basis point increment um, due to those uh, uncertainties mm. and the fact that um, there is that lagged pass through and, and we really haven't seen how households are responding to even the tightening that's been pushed through already. Mm. The, the interesting thing is that the, the fact that people roll off these very attractive, formerly very attractive uh, fixed rates, but these people are, are in a mortgage. They're not, the, they're not the potential buyers of properties. They could be the p potential sellers, I guess, if, if things get really, <laughs> really tight, but they, they are... It has an impact on enthusiasm to buy stuff in the other part of the economy. But they really aren't going to have a big impact on house prices because at the end of the day, it's buyers and getting together with sellers that will determine the house price falls going forward. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess with respect to uh, those budgetary adjustments, that more plays into kind of the outlook for household spending, the outlook for consumption and the outlook for um, how economic conditions materialise next year. But when we look at home price falls, you're right, it's more about um, borrowing capacity. Mm. Uh, and that's where we think uh, the majority of price falls are going to come from. So interest rates are are the primary driver of the home price falls we're seeing at the moment and we think will continue to be. Um, and it's much more about uh, that picture of uh, what is a sharp reduction in borrowing capacity. So with the cash rate now sitting at 2.85% and maximum borrowing capacities having been constrained by more than 20%, mm. that means that for the potential buyers that are out there, uh, their, their buying power has shrunk uh, and their their bidding power has shrunk, so to speak. Yeah. So that will continue to place downward pressure on prices. And it's a very important distinction to make about the, the downturn that we are in, I think, is that it is much more about borrowing capacity than it is about, um, say, mortgage distress and distress sales. Um, and that is another reason why we think the downturn is going to be uh, slightly more orderly uh, and slightly less aggressive yeah. than some others. Uh, the rise in the auction clearance rates, is this a, another positive for the kind of forecast that you guys have got rather than the, the more catastrophic forecast out there? Yeah, look, I mean, it, it is, uh, I guess, we're in the midst of the spring selling season. So it is typical to see auction clearance rates pick up at this time of year. Um, but we certainly have seen that uh, relative to the second quarter of this year, when interest rates first started rising and auction clearance rates were sitting uh, below the 50% the mark some weeks, we've certainly seen auction clearance rates have picked up and they have very much stabilised um, above that 50% mark, really kind of in that 50 to 60 percent range at the moment and actually it looks like on, on the our preliminary results that this weekend just gone was the um, strongest auction clearance rate week of spring so far. Now there's a few things that could be playing into that. Um, I think we have seen several months of price falls so we saw on a national level home prices peaking in March so prices have fallen persistently since April and uh, I think we're seeing or we're approaching this point where maybe sellers are adapting a little bit more to market conditions 
um, and reining in their price expectations somewhat. Uh, we've also got buyers, on the other hand, um, know that borrowing or are aware that borrowing costs are going to continue to rise, that borrowing capacities are going to continue to be constrained as interest rates continue to rise, and potentially taking advantage of the choice that is out there, because we have continued to see that total listings are well up on last year. And that means that we're seeing a few more properties clearing at auction um, as we have that kind of meeting of the minds of buyers and sellers, so to speak. Mm. All right. So one last thing. I'm sure you, you thought about this when the government talked about um, you know, producing a million properties uh, over X number of years. How significant is that? And how, like, how many properties a year do we make anyway? Look, I think the difficulty uh, with this one is how we're going to get there uh, with the current, uh, I guess, industry constraints that we have at the moment. So we know uh, that the, the cost of building a new home is, is sitting at a record high at the moment. Uh, there's significant labour shortages uh, and also uh, raw material shortages and, and significant cost increases that have been uh, causing real industry pressures. So I think that that is uh, a key consideration when we're looking uh, at this kind of this kind of claim of a million new homes, uh, and of course, uh, although it's certainly a step in the right direction, it's certainly great to see. Uh, I guess the Labor government recognizing that um, supply is one of the key difficulties that we face when it comes to housing affordability. We know that really the the only kind of real answer uh, is to build more of the right homes in the places where people want to live rather than these kind of demand side incentives that we've seen that really uh, eventually push prices further up and, and haven't been tied to unlocking land or unlocking new, new housing supply. So it is a step in the right direction. Um, whether it is a material enough step in the right direction, uh, we do have a few question marks around that. Eleanor, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget we're back on Thursday. And if you want to know more about the stocks that we think look really favourable at the moment or are really worth thinking about selling, have a look at switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you on Thursday.